0: Hello there, and welcome this week to Talking Flutes Extra, with me, Jean-Paul Wright. Now, before we dive into this enchanting world of flute music... Can we give a resounding applause, yay, to our incredible sponsors, TJ Flutes. They've been our steadfast supporters for 295 weekly pods spread over nearly seven years. You can shower them with some flute love, and we all need flute love occasionally, by connecting with them on Instagram at TJ Flutes, on Facebook at Trevor James Flutes, and on the web at tjflutes.com. In today's episode, get ready for a musical journey that transcends borders and genres. I mean, picture this, a conversation with the extraordinary Hadar Neuberg, a brilliant musician, flute player and ASCAP award-winning composer, recorded a couple of months ago via Zoom when she was living back in Israel. Hadar is not just breaking boundaries, she's reshaping the very definition of a female musician and band leader in our ever-changing world. From the elegance of classical music to the spontaneity of jazz, the rhythms of Brazilian choro and the soulful depths of Middle Eastern music, Hadar seamlessly weaves these influences into her own unique musical tapestry. But that's not all. Hadar wears so many hats. She's not only a prolific musician, but also a captivating communicator through her instrument and also as a teacher. So brace yourselves because today's episode is rather longer than usual due to our unscripted and free-flowing dialogue. I mean, to be honest, I could have kept her talking for much longer than the 55 minutes of this episode. So before we jump in, you can find out more about Hadar and her work, her recordings and her YouTube videos via her website hadarnoiberg.com, which is H-A-D-A-R-N-O-I-B-E-R-G dot com. Right, let's jump into the deep end, shall we? Let's talk about a flute player's voice. Now, this is a big one, I know, and we can talk about what creates the voice because you've got a wonderful YouTube video that we'll cover a bit later on. But I'm really interested in how you teach people to find their uniqueness, uniqueness of sound, uniqueness of interpretation, uniqueness in swapping flute playing genres, and how putting that all together creates the unique you.
1: I I listen to your question and I think about the the layers of it, because I think that there are layers to to it. It is, in a way, a simplistic question, but it's also a very deep one. I think that, you know, when we're kids, when we're young, we have this connection to an instrument, or it's a very direct thing. We don't think about what our teachers told us. We don't think about what the community will think. We don't think about excelling or becoming, you know... uh, Professional. We just really enjoy the kind of a research part of it. You know, we have fun. It's we play literally. We are playing. I remember that feeling when I got my first keyboard and I was like trying stuff. Like the probably now I would laugh at like the the horrible sounds of this keyboard, but I was having so much fun. I went through a lot of different phases mm-hmm. with my playing, but now after going through a lot of many different things, I can also talk about them if you want later. I. I come back to trying to be as simple as I can, you know, to come to the flute or actually any other instrument. Yesterday I played the piano. It's nice. It's refreshing to play a different instrument and then come to your instrument with that joy. Because I see too many musicians who are not enjoying anymore. They're not enjoying, they're playing. And that makes me sad. I mean, I see somebody playing in a lesson, you know, if I have a new student and they play an etude or like an Anderson etude study. And I see that they really don't enjoy playing that piece of music. And I ask them, did you enjoy playing? <laughs> because like, let's talk about it. Do you enjoy playing this right now? And they're like, actually, no. <laughs> and I'm like, OK, so let's play something else. Or like, let's talk about like, how we can make this fun. And I just think that's like a, that's a conception. That's, a, that's something in our brain that has nothing to do with music or flute play. We accumulate a lot of things that are then blocking us whether it's a fear of what other people think about how we sound or what we do, or maybe we've been criticised a lot and we're very sensitive people and that closed us down. Um, Many different things, actually.
0: So, in essence, we need to go back to basics and we need to go back to enjoyment of playing an instrument before we start worrying or overcomplicating it with regards to how we communicate and deepening our knowledge and our breadth of the voice in inverted commas because we've lost i agree with you we've lost and whether that is the teaching process of teaching i don't know what it is but we've lost this beauty of enjoyment first
1: yeah i think they go at the same time like i don't think that you can stop and say okay before I work on like very detailed things in my playing let me just like go back to having fun you know I think it's something that you can just practice as you practice it's a part of your practice like I keep telling my students or I tell lot of my students you know a lot of them are, are grown-ups you know they're they studying with me I feel more than anything we study together I keep telling them how you practice means a lot it's not also what you play and how many times you do it. I see many people who are very perfectionists, which I can relate to. I'm also a perfectionist. But they're really hard on themselves many times.
0: And how so, do you... Sorry to inter- interject there, but yeah, no. the perfectionist part is natural for a lot of, lot of musicians, isn't it? But it's that yeah. perfection that is held within rather than an externally. How do you... And that's, again, a very big question. How do you sort of break down that, allow, or allow the perfection or the desire for perfection to be diminished slightly so that you're happy to put something out?
1: So, first of all, I think that one thing that is good to understand, especially for recording artists, you know, like I have some albums out and I, I know people who record albums and they never release them or it takes them three, four years I think that there's timing for those kind of things. And I think when you record something, you should understand this is a moment in history. It doesn't mean it's not who you are always. It's not always going to say, oh, my first album wasn't perfect. Nothing is perfect. I listened to my first album. I'm like, wow, I'm a different person now. Of course I was 29. Of course I'm a different person now. I mean, I'm happy about that. But I think the first step is to, to just do it to do it, to record and to release quickly, you know, like sometimes for me, I think the process shouldn't be more than a month, the whole thing. Wow. I mean, because also like when you record jazz, usually, you know, it's live, maybe there isn't a lot of like post-production. Of course, if there is post-production after all the recordings are done, then you take a break. Maybe I take a two, three days break. You go into mixing, two, three days break, you go into mastering and it's done. And from that moment on, yeah, it's PR, it's everything else, but, but the music is, is ready. Because once you let the time go by, you're going to change, and your ear is going to change, and now you're going to want to change things all the time. All the time, you're going to want to change things. And that's the beauty of, like, of a concert. You go, and you play the concert. It's like, then you go and you, and you make a record or you go and you try and improvise it. But I think that is just, there's a lot of fear that comes with that. It's, it's, it's scary.
0: It is. And you you've, you've touched on the jazz and we have two sort of, we have a delineation here between the classical and jazz. You cross over, you're a brilliant classical player, you're a brilliant jazz player. And for me, when I hear a jazz player and watch a jazz player, there's a freedom They're almost climbing in and out of the notes. They're listening to everything else. They're gelling. And everything about the surroundings, it causes that piece at that moment in time to be what it was. But classical musicians, we almost seem to be driven by the dots on the page and the audience that are sat there waiting with that sort of very serious sort of look on their face and the pianist that is sort of being very serious behind you. There's a very different visual. So surely the feeling of perfectionism would be higher when you're just expected to play dots or interpret a dot on a page, which again is can be preferenced by people in various different ways than jazz, where you seem to be... I can't play jazz properly. Well, not at all, really, if I, my jazz friends tell me. But where you seem to be free within the confines of what you're doing to be... Who you are. Sorry, that was a long question, wasn't it?
1: No, but it's interesting to hear you talking about that. I'm going to surprise you there, maybe. Because there is a lot of expectation and also perfectionism when you're a jazz musician and when you go to a college, and that's a tiny bit of like my complex relationship with colleges, with music, you know. I have, I mean, I do have an undergrad degree, but. It's not easy for me when there's like a, here is how to play it, yeah, and this yeah. is the right way, and now you go practice that way. Something in me wants to say, no, no, <laughs> I, kind of, I kind of want to resist just for resisting. But there's definitely a way that when you go to a college or when you, you, when you study jazz, a lot of professors, not all of them, they don't always talk about creativity they talk about there is there is history and there is the bebop language mm-hmm. and there is 251 and there is the harmony, you know, there's like so so many different eras that you can touch on and then there's, there's free and there's Brazilian jazz, there's so many different things that, that you study and sometimes, and that was my problem in college, I felt like everybody's great students, but I still don't feel creative you know, so, so even for jazz musicians I feel that It is sometimes just to kind of completely also get out of that expectation because there's some jazz musicians who who come to me and they feel trapped in that. They feel like they want to, like you said, find their own voice and they don't know how between all of the, you know, let's transcribe Charlie Parker solos and talk about harmony, which is amazing. It's amazing to transcribe Charlie Parker solos. It's just one thing to do and so again there is expectation and there is criticism and I will just say that I grew up always doing everything so for me that's my way of life like I grew up playing in the Youth Philharmonic Orchestra having a funk band and studying (laughs) and like playing bass in the basement you know that was my my youth and it was fun I'm happy for that maybe it took a bit longer to get more professional in everything because I was kind of spreading myself around but i think that it gave me some amazing tools to just feel free it's kind of like an accent you go on and out of things and you you respect the accent yet you keep your own personality but i started saying it because
0: <laughs> is it because now you've explained more about jazz there is rules with jazz obviously just as there's rules with classical and yet going to college You're learning the rules and you, if you're going to go into music college or music university to study jazz, you would already know the jazz great. You'll always already be aware of the various different types of jazz. Once you are aware of the rules, do you think music college is possibly quite guilty in keeping you within the box? In classical, I understand why you're in the box to a certain degree because they have to teach you everything and that is based around the preference and the style of playing that the teacher wants. But surely jazz should be, once you are aware of the rules and you should have a lot more freedom to explore. Isn't that jazz in itself?
1: I think so. You know, jazz came from the streets. Yeah. It didn't come from intellectuals, sitting and...
0: Have we intellectualized it? Have we sort of, have we taken jazz and tried to cut it down into this pattern that we all understand?
1: I mean, you know, it just developed in a certain way. And I think just things happened, you know, some different branches of it stayed closer to the blues Hmm. and some branches of it became more, you know, like I'm thinking of Bill Evans right now. You know, I'm thinking about like amazing players that took it to a completely, like Brad Meldo, to a completely different place. And it's all great some of it moves me more some of it doesn't move me as much you know i have my own preference i love melodies i think it's so amazing that we're flute players we can sing we're like singers that's how i think about the flutes you know me like i love to talk about the technique and how you breathe and how you do that and how you do this i i got really into it through like while covid was happening you know we're at home and i was just teaching with keith underwood and talking to him for hours about these things and it was like super interesting and different and fun. And through learning more about flute technique, I became, I think, a better musician. Like it really influenced how I play. So I do think that if you approach also, like technique in a different way, it can really help you gain more like musical vocabulary. And I think that's when I when I teach my classes, you know, sometimes I ask myself like, is this working, this concept, you know, than jazz and classical and by jazz i mean like anyone who improvises because it's not only jazz musicians it's you know some people come they play brazilian choro and some people don't even read music and they just play free and i, I tried to accommodate all of that in the class so i really do think that when a classical musician hears somebody else talking about harmony and rhythm and offbeats if they open their mind and their heart, they can learn a lot from it, and they can gain—they—they they can gain a lot from it. To whatever it is that they're playing, they don't have to start playing Schubert music tomorrow. I think it would be fun and maybe a good tool to have, but they don't have to do it. But it will just give some kind of um, flexibility to the sound and different kinds of articulation. I mean, not all classical music is Bach and Mozart. You know, there's so much that 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 you can do today. As a classical musician, I feel, and and many jazz players who come to the class, some of them don't even know what a double tonguing is, <laughs> like they can't mm-hmm. tell me if they're single tonguing. And I think that in this, you know, to, today, like when in this day and age, when everybody's doing everything, it's a tiny bit of a, it can be a problem for them. Like I think it can, it can push them forward and make them uh, feel more free if they have like proper flute technique, but also if they just... Understand why it's important, not just because the teacher told them that they have to do it.
0: So, you mentioned that real big word, free freedom. How do you encourage? I mean, I am scared of improvisation, I like a lot of people. I've always been sort of scared to sort of go to places because I don't really know where I'm going. But you get a classical musician. I totally endorse what you said, by the way. If you can break that classical straitjacket and start to explore into the jazz, not only jazz but other sort of fields, how that will and you've proved that with your YouTube videos and also your your videos with your live feeds with Keith Underwood, which explored all these areas and actually explored taking off this straitjacket that we all wear and saying, look, it's okay to look at technique in a different way, to look at breathing in a different way, to look at music in a different way how would you encourage classical players to say yeah what you're doing is great the technical studies that you're doing are great but to really improve yourself and to sort of find that voice we're going back to that word again i would encourage you to "Mm." and what is the "Mm." what is the cut (laughs) what is the jump in the deep end
1: i see sometimes when i work with classical musicians you said the word, I think, seriousness before. Some kind of like, there's a seriousness. And that seriousness also, you can hear it in the articulation. You can see it in the way they stand and the shoulders. It's very serious. And everything is being articulated very well. And that can be great for some things. And it's a really a great skill to have and it's important. But I think that if you play, and I always like to use... Brazilian choro is an example because I think that it's an amazing bridge for both classical and jazz musicians. Because to be a great choro player, you truly need to master the instrument because it requires you, first of all, you need to have chops. It's very difficult, technically, it's difficult music. So you still need to be able to, to play. So classical musicians still get that kind of, you know, that flute music that it's great to play. You need to have a groove and great time, sense of time, because if not, you're behind. And you need to know about harmony, but the harmony is not challenging too much. It's not like flat nine, uh sharp eleven, flat thirteen kind of chords. It's very classical and very basic. One, four, five, minor, six. You know, it's easy to understand. So in that way, it's also kind of close to classical music. Yeah, so time, sound, chops, I mean everything is there. And so I love it when I work with classical musicians on short because what we actually do is we lighten up the articulation because if it, if it stays heavy, you can't actually lock with the drums. It's kind of like a tambourine. It's called pandero. You can't lock with that drum if you go pa-pa-pa-pa-pa-pa-pa, it's, it's not going to happen. So sometimes I send them a little loop that I have of just like the, that drum is playing like chiquit-chiquit-chiquit-chiquit-chiquit-chiquit. And I tell them, play Tafanel Gobern on top of this, you know, or play... A Mozart concerto on top of this, or play anything that you play on top of this, and try and relate. Can you relate that there is a drum and you need to lock with it? You know, that really opens a different chakra, I think.
0: And it's to do with creating relationship with the other musicians, which, as you say, is the drum or the, the bigger group, rather than being inward to yourself.
1: That's but, the first thing.
0: But also, there's got to be some movement in this because you can't sort of stand there at however you hold your flute. And just be sort of rigid. There's gotta be this sort of it's this dual approach, isn't it? It's a physical approach, a mental approach, an auditory approach. You, you very rarely see Brazilian players, Jocko players sort of standing still. There is this freedom, isn't there? And now how do you get your students to sort of move a little bit to feel it?
1: Yeah, I mean it's it's nice to move but not too much, like not do not give the movement too much. Power because it's not actually about external movement; it's about internal movement. So, can you make your eighth notes move in a different way than mm-hmm. they have before? So instead of this, I mean, I don't know. Can we get into a technical thing? Yeah. I mean, it is a flute podcast. Yeah, go,
0: yeah, go for it.
1: <laughs> so there's a lot of like ta 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 ta. classical musicians come to me with of course not everybody of course i'm not trying to generalize but just from my experience and there is this kind of like a like i call it like like a hiccup like a lilt in brazilian music it's not straight it's like if i slow it down it sounds crooked a tiny bit it's not even it's completely not straight and so it teaches you to be like ta ta gu du ka te gu du ku tu gu tu kitty.
0: tu gu di ki te gu di ki te gu di you te gu di ki te gu di gu gu
1: exactly it's, it's very in that way yeah it's not really on top because it's also laid back at the same time <laughs> you know what I mean but but definitely we're leading and I think that when flute players the, the thing about us I like to call it always like the cherry on top because we think that you know there's everybody's the cake and then pluck flute <laughs> player especially if you're a soloist you know it's a bit of like a I've got to say something weird, a bit of a passive feeling sometimes or, or a place to be in, even though you think you're the soloist, but there's a conductor and there's the orchestra and you fit into that. And I feel that sometimes, and actually I've seen Keith teach and, you know, so he's also teaching like classical players to lead. So it's never, definitely not only coming from, from jazz or anything like that or short, but that idea that you can lead and you can really influence the rhythm. And you can influence also the, the dynamic with everyone else is an amazing thing to realize. There's a lot of power that you can unlock if you just learn more about time and how, how eighth notes and, and quarter notes, how they relate to each other and to other things around.
0: And it completely changes the narrative of what you're listening to just with that little emphasis, whether it is that relaxed emphasis before the note, before the actual sort of downbeat, or whether you just sort of lazily put it in, or it just changes everything from being in a very when you go it sort of changes where things go.
1: It changes and people around you, people who listen around you and play with you are going to change with you so it's a ripple effect that's what's beautiful about it it's not only you changing and you know it's not like playing with a minus one or a backing track <laughs> playing with people you know but i want to i want to say something to to you because he said that you're afraid to
0: Je- yeah, play I jazz sometimes yeah. to
1: improvise it's interesting you know of course that there's there's uh, harmony and there are some the word rules is i don't like to use it so much but yeah there are some harmonic rules that are good to know But at the end of the day, with enough conviction, you can make any note fit anywhere. That's really, truly what I believe in. And many times when I improvise, I am not completely sure what it is I'm doing. Because sometimes people ask me, oh, are you aware all the time? Like when I improvise, I don't think, oh, flat 9 sharp 11 is going to sound really good right about here. You know, I already maybe internalized enough patterns to to be able to feel free. And what I work with a lot is the idea of tension and release.
0: Yeah, dissonance, that that brief dissonance is really important, isn't it?
1: It's really important. And I think about it, like, I almost imagine like, I don't know if, if people are able to see me, probably not, but it's like my, the center of my body, like my axis, and how further from it I go, and then I come back to it, and there is a release. And then, you know, I try and create more tension, and then I release it. And sometimes tension can be created by playing more notes. It can be created by playing less notes. (laughs) Taking a break is also very, can be a tense moment. It can be by playing notes that are outside of the scale and outside of the chord. You know, it can be by just holding one note throughout, like, a different harmony that's changing. So there's so many things that you can do, but I think that... What makes me believe someone when I hear them play is that they are there, their, their soul is there behind what they play. They don't play with their, from their intellect, they play from a deeper place. And I, I, I think that I can, I can feel that from somebody if they play, you know, if they, if they connect to something deeper, or is it more like we study a lot of different patterns and we build it in a very beautiful way, but then what are you trying to say here, really? is
0: the simplest form is to put some music on and just improvise over the top even if it's in your back room or wherever it is just to do some slow slow stuff where you just mess around with the harmony because you know if it works or not
1: yeah you know the the interesting thing is that the first thing that gets developed is your ear so when people (laughs) when when people come and we study together Most of the time when I feel they get better, they feel that they're getting worse and they're very frustrated. And I'm trying to tell them your ear wants more and you're not able to deliver it yet. And it's fine. Like now your ear has, you know, like you're hearing different things. You want to develop, but you don't know how to do it yet. And now there's like a decent, there's a gap between what you hear, what you can deliver as when you come and you play, so you think, "Oh, I've gotten so much worse," but no, you haven't. Completely, it's completely false. You know what I mean? Like I sense? do
0: totally. It's, but the more you practice, your sound to your teacher is probably changing, but to you, you're getting worse. But actually, your ear getting better. And yeah, obviously, or the we more are. We find. Yeah, and obviously, we are. You know, the, the big thing about flute players is our sound because we are measured by our sound and. Whereas technique is one thing that's important. I mean, you just have such a beautiful sound. I know you're playing on a flute that's over 120 years old, a lovely wooden flute, but you have this sort of sound that is sort of beautiful in whatever genre you mix it in. And I think when your ears are developing, the more you practice, I agree with you. You tend to think you're getting worse but yet the teacher can hear your ears and your mouth, your chops working in unison. And I think you have to get auditarily worse to actually get better. If that makes sense?
1: Yeah, it does. You know, you talked about sound and I think in the YouTube video that you mentioned before, um, I talk about sound because that's, that stops many people from trying to play jazz because there is this idea that you have to sound a certain way as a jazz flute player.
0: I always, thought, um. I always thought you did. And I'm just going to preface this YouTube video, which is called The One Thing Flutists Don't Know About Playing Multiple Styles. It's a wonderful, wonderful YouTube video. And we'll cover the link. In the, and the link will be at the bottom of this podcast anyway. But yes, you, I always thought your sound changes. I thought the money sound as a flute player in jazz was this airy ho, you know, the real (laughs) Hubie Law stuff, you know, this real sort of air, the the sound that a sax player would make if he was doubling. But you throw that out, you throw that concept away and say, actually, it's not. Your voice, whatever your voice is in classical, can also transfer over, translate over into all these other genres.
1: Oh, yeah. It's actually not the sound, and that's what I'm trying to say in the video it's actually a lot about the articulation. That's really, I really, really, really stand behind it. I really think that that it's true. I think that with this, I mean, yeah, it's your vibrato, of course. Even though there are some jazz musicians who play with a lot of vibrato, I mean, that that's not necessarily my taste, but it's great, and it's happening. Um, and uh, but the one thing that you can't do as a jazz player is not swing or not groove or not feel the time. Like that is unacceptable. So a lot of times, kind of connected to what, we, what I talked about before, it's about having this stiff technique, something that can be a bit more round, and something that can be a bit more like f- flowing, you know? And, and you can change the sound. And you know, sometimes when I play, I, I love to have a bit of air in my sound only when I choose to. I have control over when that happens, because I also love um, Middle Eastern flutes and Ney flutes and Bansuri flute. I'm like a huge fan. So I love the thing that they have. Um, so I try to imitate that sometimes and that's fun. But whenever I want, I can switch back. So the, the, the fear of like, once you try, once you try different kinds of flute sounds, you will lose, ah, you know, <laughs> you shall lose your classical flute sound. I don't think it's true. I think you're just learning um, a different kind of expression. And that's cool.
0: I like that, a different type of expression by experimenting with the sounds, which is why the different genres, as you talk about, enable you to experiment with the different sounds because it's pointless playing them if you're gonna stay with exactly the same way that you play with classical.
1: Yeah, you know, these days I don't even think about, oh, now I'm going to play, um, I'm going to play Prokofiev let's put my classical sound on it's just because the aesthetic of the music is asking something of me you know it's asking something i mean i'm not gonna play this prokofiev sonata with with something that doesn't feel like it's right for the aesthetic of what i feel right and prokofiev is not here to tell me if it's right or wrong but i feel from recordings that i've heard from like other classical music that i've experienced um that there is a certain like you know a certain shine or a certain vibrato or a certain still flute players sound different than each other than one another right in classical field like they don't all sound like one mold like one type of, of sound and but there is a specific aesthetic i do talk about this in the video also mm-hmm. that i'm not telling, of course there's there's editions and there's orchestras and i have a lot of respect to towards that and so there's like the classical aesthetic is important and i grew up you know studying that for years but then when you also feel comfortable to just like pick up the flute without a chart and without anything and play that is a very deep connection and from there you can do other things you know but when you pick up the flute and the first thing you think about is how is my vibrato my E doesn't sound good today i should really work on my scales that's psychologically is blocking you already from just what you talked about at the beginning even before we pressed on just like that connection that we have with the instrument or with the audience that doesn't need to go through so many different tunnels it can be a bit more direct
0: no agenda flu playing crikey pick your instrument <laughs> no up without agenda. <laughs> the agenda <laughs> but but I, you're exactly right i suppose if you're going to play prokofiev you need to be you need to understand the narrative of the piece of music and then just it being connecting with that piece of music should enable you to create the performance and the style that you want in that and then if you're playing jazz it's being in that moment with those jazz musicians with those ears but also without the agenda of I must play it like this. Oh, I have just put in a thirteenth, and that doesn't work. Um, oh, what am I'm, I I'm going to do? I'm going to kill myself. You know, it's you know when you come off stage, classical musicians come off stage. How often do they come off stage and people say, "Oh, that was really good." Yeah, but oh, I'm not sure about that last bit, or, or oh, I wasn't sure about the end of the first moment. We sort of we tend to sort of dwell, don't we, on what we what we don't achieve in in this perfect world, rather than just let it be as that moment in time you've already mentioned that the, the the freedom is when you create an album that is that moment in time just like when you're going to do a jazz concert or you're going to do a classical concert what you play then is that moment in time one minute after that you're a different person you're a different player and you could play exactly the same charts and it will sound differently and it will feel different
1: Yeah, it's also really important to realize that how you experienced it is not how the audience experienced it.
0: Ah, that's a big point, yeah.
1: It's a big point to understand, I can give you an example from from, um, my own life, like uh, last time I played a concert, it was uh, on a beautiful uh, rooftop of a museum next to the beach, Mediterranean sea, it was beautiful. You know they had <laughs> they only had speakers I need to do my own sound and I brought effects I brought pedals I like I never do my own sound for a performance not because I, I can't because it's it's too much responsibility you know so I did my own sound and it was like you know eighty percent okay <laughs> it was okay but it wasn't to my liking so much and there was like a lot of wind and you know wind flute not the best friends it was really hard to focus a tone and to feel control so i had to like <laughs> i had to change the the angle of how i stand towards the mic so the air doesn't go inside the flute but kind of goes around it and then it was like you know open air a concert So then like a, a group of of young guys i don't know if they had a party i don't know what they did but you could really hear them laughing like floor below or something you could really hear like loud noises i spent the whole show just thinking that I just can't relax into it like I can't see I you know it's a flute bass and drums is very intimate kind of setting you know it's not a rock band so it's very intimate music very melodic and I felt myself angry at some point and at some point I was like just completely <laughs> playing all of my frustration out one of my solos I was just and I recorded the whole thing because I love to document which is also uh, I'll put in parenthesis, very important for perspective, to record yourself, because then you don't stay in your head. You get to listen to how it sounded. But anyway, I dreaded looking at the concert because I thought it was just horrible. And then I remember watching it and I'm like, okay, it's not as bad as I thought it was. And even like my solo, it was like, you know, like breaking everything and Putting everything out there, all of my frustration was just like a fun, cool thing. You know, like I, nobody could tell how frustrated I was in the concert. So when people came to me after the concert and they loved it, I tried to keep my mouth shut and say, oh, thank you so much. And not be like, you know, but the sound, because I'm ruining their experience. They came and they paid a ticket and they watched the concert. And I should just say, thank you. I'm glad you enjoyed it. And deal with myself. But anyway, I just wanted to say that that it ended up being a lot better than what I've imagined. So that gave me a real lesson. I said, huh, interesting. You know, I learned something today.
0: I mean, a lot of people, I, I journal all the time. For me, journaling is important. But I think it's really important what you've just touched on there, which is audible journaling, which is journaling your performances so that you can look back as you say, through different eyes, retrospective eyes, if it's a few years later, because sometimes we can't see our development, can we? We can't see how, how we've changed in our technique, how we've changed in our sound, how we've changed in our, the way we communicate.
1: Yeah. Even a few days, not even a few years, <laughs> can take a week off and you'll hear it differently.
0: And is it something you've always done? You've always audibly journaled?
1: <laughs> I'm a bit of an obsessive documenter, I think, just because, I don't know, I, I really enjoy it. Like, I finish a show, I go into the car, and I put that show on. Can you believe oh, it, gosh, really? it? Oh, gosh, really? Yeah, I mean, people think it's nuts. But then I found out that I'm not the only one who does it. But I'm curious. I want to hear how it sounded. You know, I'm curious already. Yeah, like, so, you're, so, so you're
0: driving along, okay? You're driving along, <laughs> and then you hear something. You're going, oh, no,
1: or, ah. You know, I have to tell you something, and, and maybe that's a, a cool thing that, I don't know, classical players can take a tiny bit from jazz, is that mistakes can be also something to... Mistakes are, are okay, and not only are they okay, they are opportunities. Yeah, it's
0: a liberation, so liberation isn't there with
2: a mistake.
1: They are opportunities. So when I'm on stage and I make a funny note, I was like, oh, yeah, okay, cool, interesting. <laughs> I laugh at it, you know, it's funny to me. And so sometimes I think... And here is a funny thing. I'm way more in my comfort zone. If you put me on stage right now with the flute and tell me, play. 10,000 people, I'm on stage. You give me a flute and you tell me, whatever, just play. I feel completely relaxed. You put me in an orchestra right now and I have to come in on the second beat. <laughs> you know, uh, uh, with like a third octave, whatever F sharp. F sharp. <laughs> I just chose the worst. I just yeah. went for the worst of it. You know, it's not like I can't do it, but the expectation of the is hard for me. You know, the expectation of it sounding in a specific way in a specific way, and no room for mistakes. I look in awe at orchestral musicians. I think it's amazing. It's amazingly hard. I did it and I I enjoyed it. But today I think that I, I it wouldn't be... Fun. I mean, I do it sometimes if people need me to do certain things, like a chamber music I love. So, yeah, I, th- I think that there's a lot of pressure there. And it's nice to, like when you practice and you do other things, to breathe and not treat everything with this kind of pressure of expectation, which is big. You know, there, there's a lot of expectation there. and And the thing is, my flute that you've mentioned has taught me many things because it's not a perfect instrument, you know, older instrument. It's wooden, takes a lot of care. So when the temperature changes, <laughs> it changes and I travel a lot and humidity changes and it changes. And uh, sometimes I go like, wow, it would have been so much easier to just have like this perfect modern fluid with like strobinger pads. But I'm happy for my flute is teaching me that life isn't perfect. Uh, maybe it sounds simplistic, but it's really helping me to gain perspective and to be the best musician I can be to make that flute, whatever I want to make out of it. You know what I mean? And not to, to yeah, I kind of, I touch on a different topic. But what I'm trying to say is that being able to make mistakes and I've, I've heard some amazing classical musicians make mistakes and I love them for it actually. Made me feel like they're human. Yeah,
0: uh, and I too love... I won't say love, but I appreciate when a mistake is there, because as you say, then they become like the rest of us, which is the imperfect people that we are, because there's not one of us alive today that is perfection. Just touching on your instrument, everybody has a relationship with their instrument, which is it is very deep that is why you shouldn't just go out and buy an instrument because someone tells you to buy an instrument you have to actually fall in love with it doesn't matter what's written on the barrel you have to try these instruments and go with the one that you gel with because let's face it you will spend more time with that piece of wood metal than you do with your partner so your (laughs) your emotional input has to be perfect from day one So saying that, you're really old and flute, which you've become obviously really emotionally attached to. How has your voice changed over the years on that? Because obviously you communicate with each other. As soon as you play it, as you say, there could be a lot of humidity in the air and your sound will be slightly different, or you could be in a very dry environment. How has your voice, the Hadar voice changed over the years?
1: It was funny, when I first got the flute, I, I got the feeling, I played a lot of Cuban music and Middle Eastern music at that time when I was in New York, and I I still have like my first uh, silver flute, and I enjoyed it, but I knew, I don't know why, I knew that I wanted a wooden flute. I didn't even own one before, I never played one, I just had this feeling. you know. So one time I get a call from, from Phil, from the flute center of New York, and he's like, Adar, I think I have the flute for you. He knew I was looking for it. And also I was a student, so I was kind of broke. You <laughs> know, So he said, I have a really, really great flute. It's from 1905. It's been in somebody's closet for many years. So the pads and everything, it's in a bad state. Take it and try it. If you decide to get it, then I'll include an overall. But I can't overall it before... You decide that you want it. So I got this flute that can't really play. The pads weren't really sealing, and I felt like, I don't even know if it's real what I'm saying, but I felt like it was closed, like the, the wood was closed off. Like It was really not responding. But I knew I wanted the flute. I can't even explain why. I wanted the flute very much. So I said, after like maybe, I don't know, a week, I said, I want this flute. And so it was overall and everything, and I got it. And yeah, I think it changed completely just the way I don't know the way I think about music. I think that a wooden flute, it's, it's a living thing, you know, and probably my, my flute, probably that wood now knows it is, it's a flute, right? After all these years, it takes time for them to get convinced. It does, yeah. It
0: thinks it's still a tree for a long time, (laughs) yeah.
1: Exactly. (laughs) So that felt great too. It's like an old soul, you know, and I probably had some stories to tell me if it could. But the more my flute technique changed, and especially since uh, Keith and I met and we started working together, I don't know, maybe five years ago, I felt like I'm, like for a long time, I I felt like I wanted a teacher again because I I wasn't feeling curious or, uh, like I was feeling stuck, actually. I was feeling stuck. Let me know if I'm talking too much.
0: No, no, no. I I like it when people say things such as feeling stuck because (laughs) we all feel stuck in our lives.
1: Yeah, I was feeling stuck and I I was playing gigs and I was a professional flute player already, but I was like uninspired, actually. I didn't know what to practice and how to practice it, and I just was uninspired. And then I met Keith and understood he's doing a lot with breathing, and that really drew me and and like he... We met and from the first or second lessons, we became friends. Like we knew that we're going to do a lot of stuff together. We had this click. The more I understand about my body and about my flute technique the more I can control this flute. This flute can be a bit untamed sometimes, you know. Its pitch is 4.35, and the more, the more I play from a deeper, deeper place in myself, the flatter it, beca- it became. Oh gosh, you know? it yeah. Bit, yeah. it was hard for me, because I, I, had, I never had any issue playing at 4.40, and all of a sudden, like two years into meeting with Keith and talking to him, I felt like I couldn't tune. And I was like, okay, what is going on? Like, I'm unhappy. And I realized that like every process, I need to be patient. I've been through processes like that already. When you're used to being professional, but then you study something new that kind of makes you feel like, oh my God, am I losing my skill? But if you work on it and you're patient, then it elevates you like a thousand times. All it took is just a bit of patience to understand that to understand the real technique of flute and how I can control it better, not from a ver- not from a stressed place, or from a place that, oh, how will my sound be today? But from a place that knows where the sound goes through, how to control the nose, how to control the pharynx, how to control the breath. When I control my body better, then I can take the flute, and then I can make it. Four thirty 440 and 441. I can't even play 441 on that flute. And that's a 435. No split E, no nothing on that flute. No open holes. So that's why I think that when you learn to control your body as your instrument and you really, you take the time to do that, then you're also able to To take the flute that can challenge you in a good way that can allow you to to grow and to create you know a new relationship So, so now i feel with my flute almost like it's a new instrument because i've changed and so i play it in a different way
0: and you you go to flute conventions like i do and i've found over the years flutes just become much more easier to play but the downside to being easy to play is they become in my own perspective become quite sterile because they produce this sound that is there and you don't need to necessarily have to work and there's something quite beautiful about taking something that's wooden that you need to go and find your sound it it, it actually doesn't have to be wooden it could be silver it could be gold yeah but you need to be able to find your sound and not have it given to you by the cut of the head
1: i really agree with that I feel really blocked. Sometimes I can I can try, you know, this really super fancy flute. And I feel like where, where am I inside all of this? I don't find it. And I actually find that because it's trying to be so super hyper leveled and, you know, equal, it doesn't even feel tuned to me. You know what I mean? <laughs> like I, I, I find problems. And when people tell me, oh, I can't play on a flute that's not split E. Okay, maybe, or maybe you're used to something making your life easier. And maybe it's fine. Why do you need to work hard? But actually, I think that when you control, again, your body and your technique, like internally, playing flute becomes easier. It really does. Also on a wooden flute, it's not a hard thing.
0: Yeah, I get that when people say, I have to have a C-sharp trill. I won't buy.
1: No judgment, by the way. I mean, it's okay. Oh, no, absolutely.
0: I I don't, you know, if somebody wants to put a banana on the end and it makes them play better, I don't care what they do as long as they feel as though they're performing better. There's just something quite nice about... And I've only really sort of explored wood in the last three or four years. There's just something quite beautiful about taking something that was living and in essence is still wanting, as you said, wanting to be a tree. And it takes a long time before that bits of tree knows that when you pick it up, that's you coming to play it. And there's just something quite nice about imperfection. As you say, when there is a flute that's most beautifully made flute... It just may, it may be beautifully made, but really, does it allow me to find my own voice, or is it just there going, like a singer? And you're, the way that you, you speak to people, I've seen some of your classes, the way you talk about it, it's all about what you portray through your voice, your flute, really is a byproduct of all this. The... yeah and
1: it's literally your voice like you, yeah. you talked about the vocal cords at the very beginning i mean you use them as a flute player you use a lot of the same mechanism as singers do when you play the flute and and i think it's yeah it's, it's a beautiful thing i mean i find common language with singers many times but yeah i mean i'm just saying one thing that's really cool about my flute and sometimes yeah sometimes i wake up and i go wow maybe it would have been easier <laughs> to just have like a modern wooden flute that can play 442 in a very easy way sure but i think that i would probably like retrospectively have de- de- developed a bit less with a flute like that because i wouldn't have to work as hard to understand how i can control the intonation internally for example
0: yeah, and in, yeah, intonation is another completely new subject, isn't it? Completely new topic. Yeah, I'm
1: just, I'm just saying.
0: I just think I, there's a love about. So you play on this flute from the early 20th century, and. There is something lovely about imperfection that it can translate into this beauty. I mean, you look at the old Louis Lott flutes uh, that yeah. when people play them, I remember we're playing his and it was absolutely... I know he probably drilled a few holes and done a few things with it. There's just some beauty about this old, this thing that once had life, that had personality put it, put through it. And when you pick up a modern day flute, you, that's why I say you've really got to fall in love with it. You've got to gel with it at a deeper level not worry about the brand name or what it's made of and I always say that to people I think to play the different genres of music unless you are happy and at one with you and your flute then you have this barrier to really opening yourself up to what you teach which is sort of playing multiple styles but with freedom and with clarity and in doing that as a flute player you will only develop into a much more positive person
1: yeah yeah and the whole idea behind the name the self-sufficient flutist is that you can use everything to, to do that you don't have you know many people come to me for practice routines or can you give me a one, two, three, four, five method of how to do it? Like, I don't work with one, two, three, four, five. I know it's great for YouTube titles, by the way. If you guys want to make a YouTube video, it's great. Five ways to do this or ten ways to do that. But, you know, in in reality, just I don't think it works this way. I think it's just about opening this creative channel. Everything can be a, a, a tone exercise. Everything can be a technique exercise. If you have to play a concert, you can take Bits of pieces of it and transpose them into twelve keys and here you worked on ear training. you know it doesn't have to you don't have to go through something super super complicated or buy fifteen books to do that. you know that can be also overwhelming, so it's just about you know, like yesterday I sat on a on a piano and I played two five, one different voicings, and then I thought, can I do that with a flute? That's all. Just ask a question: Can I do that with a flute? Can I do this with a flute? You know.
0: I so, like that. Ask yourself questions. I really do like that. Rather than give yourself statements, I sound crap today, or my sounds rubbish, or ask ask. I like that asking man. a question of yourself because then it enables these creative juices to answer, doesn't it? Because somehow, when we you know when we ask ourselves a question, our brain, sort of the subconscious mind, answers back, doesn't it?
1: Yeah. Or just like it keeps us curious. I like that word. Just curious.
0: We've been going nearly an hour, believe it or not.
1: No, I believe it. I'm looking at
0: <laughs> So, So before we conclude this, can you just tell the listeners how they can find you with Self-Sufficient Fluidist, but also your YouTube channel, which I know you're getting back into at this moment in time, which... As a perfectionist, and I remember watching you through your Instagram videos, you didn't know whether to put it up or whether it, how you are quite nervous about putting it up. It's how do people find you if they don't know you? And I imagine a lot of my listeners do. My listeners, our listeners do. <laughs>
1: <laughs> First of all, the way to write my name, maybe it's good to say it once. Um, Hadar is H-A-D-A-R and Neuberg is with an I n-o-i-b-e-r-g so on youtube on instagram on facebook and on tiktok believe it or not if you write my name um it's there and the self-sufficient fluidist channel is uh basically like another channel under my my main hadana channel it has also performances and stuff like that i started this kind of um yeah a flute tutorial i can say i guess channel to talk about things that i talk about on social media but not be bound to a minute and a half video like yeah. be a bit more free
0: so i get the name right i know you don't mind people calling you Hadar or Hadar. It's as good. some it's people great. call you <laughs> just to get it right it's that ha at the back so Hadar. hadar hadah it's close oh i'm close Hadara <laughs> I am so delighted to speak to you today and thank you so much for coming on board with Talking Flutes today i hopefully be able to come back to you in a, a few weeks time and give you sort of more questions because no doubt you, you've generated so much thought that questions will be forthcoming
1: I would love that I you know I love to chat and I love questions and I keep telling people just just like text me email me I'm really reachable through whatever channel you want so just
0: I will endorse that she, she is everybody Hadara uh, always answers <laughs> even a little old me if I was to message she always comes back I think what, what's important is you give a, a viewpoint that is very open and very free and you encourage people to explore as you said be curious and your videos and self-sufficient flutists, it's all about curiosity and how curiosity improves you as an individual. If you improve you as an individual, your voice becomes louder and better and more complex and yet more complete. And as a musician, you just then have more freedom. So I would thank you for doing what you do. Thank you for putting it out, being brave enough to put it out. It's a big thing, this, isn't it? Putting yourself out for the world.
1: It's actually a big thing and and I like to use that because social media can be a lot and it can be overwhelming and I just try to use it as a vehicle of my own personal growth. You know, I'm sharing with people my imperfect process. So some of my videos are imperfect and I talk about them being imperfect because when you are standing behind it and say, hey, it's okay, this is imperfect. Maybe my staccato was this, maybe my sound was this, but you know what, I'm a person and I'm talking about something bigger than that. Then it doesn't matter if somebody says, you know, your tone could be whatever. They could just sit behind the keyboard and write it. This has no power over me. It's kind of like training my psychological, my, my muscles, my mental muscles, you know.
0: <laughs> I could talk for hours because I just, yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. I, okay. love, I
0: love hearing back what, what you are saying because everybody who knows you knows what a lovely lady you are and how gentle you are, but how you're free to impart information which is what you've learned and what you feel and ultimately that's how we learn we learn by hearing others speak and how learning how it resonates with us and if it resonates we should take it on board
1: yeah or we can disagree which is great oh isn't it it just to be like why does it have to be one thing or the other and everybody has to agree or it's fighting like i'm i like to be challenged challenge me
0: we'd all be robots if we all sounded the same and played the same patterns wouldn't we
1: to
0: be boring, <laughs> <laughs> Adaga, thank you, and thank you all for yeah. listening this week. Join me again next week. I haven't the foggest what I'm talking about next week, but whatever it is, may your week ahead be musically fulfilling, and may your groove be especially smooth because mine won't be. Bye. <laughs> <laughs>